Whenever you're nervous about meeting somebody, just envision them sitting on the toilet. We all sit on the toilet and it brings us to a certain level of humanity where we're all alike. No matter how important or big and bad you are, we all do that. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Today, our guest is Rianne Silva. Rianne got her start as a makeup artist in Hollywood and over the years worked her way up from doing music videos to movies and television. And on the side, she was developing a tool to make her work easier. If you've ever applied foundation, you'll probably recognize it. She invented the Beauty Blender, that bright pink teardrop-shaped makeup sponge. Rianne launched her own business with that iconic sponge and no outside funding. Rianne, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, ladies. What a nice intro. Before we start talking about your career, we like to start these interviews with our lightning round to get warmed up. So quick questions, quick answers. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. First job on your resume. My first job on my resume is makeup artist. Okay. You've been consistent. Secret hobby or skill? Oh God. My guilty secret hobby is probably watching reality shows. Hey, I like it. Well, That's join the great. club. Which show are you into right now? Well, God, this is so revealing and embarrassing. I mean, I'm a 50-year-old woman and I'm happily married, but I just like got sucked into Love Island. Oh, (laughs) I thought you were going to say sex life. So I feel like that's not, you know. Yeah, but that's not reality. I know. But But, you know, the thing is, is I tend to live my life around a lot of young single women, including like my daughter, but even in my own business. And yeah, it's for work. Well, it is because actually, I actually have connected with the show because organically these girls all use a beauty blender when they're putting their makeup on before their dates. And I'm like, oh my God, I love these girls. Just, I'm so curious about the show. And that was like my initial thing because somebody said, Hey, Rianne, you got to see the show. Everybody's using your thing. And then I got busy watching the show and I got totally into all of the dating drama (laughs) and the heavy kissing. And yeah, I'm embarrassed to say. So when you see someone using Beauty Blender, is there like a pet peeve you have? Is there a wrong way to use it? You know, not really, not really. I'm just so fascinated to just look at the different ways people use it. And I I will say if there's any tiny little thing, I can always tell when it's dry. Hmm. So for me, because I designed it to be used damp. So you get it completely wet and saturated and squeeze it out like a kitchen sponge and then kind of dry it off with a towel and it grows. So I can tell when someone's using it dry. Finish this sentence. What best describes your work day? Working nine till blank. Working nine till whenever I get it done. There are no rules. And to be honest with you, it's a crazy schedule because my team is both East and West Coast. So I start really early and I end really late. 
Okay, what is your shameless plug? Skin Tint, my newest launch that's coming out. It's my newest, most amazing skincare hybrid foundation serum. It is the most delicious and amazing, luminous, healthy, good for you foundation. Very exciting. It's a long wear, just radiant, beautiful skincare foundation. Yeah, that would be my shameless plug. Okay. I want to go back into time. Before the beauty blender, you were once upon a time studying fashion, working in a department store. How did you go from working in a department store to actually becoming a fully employed makeup artist? Okay. So I was working as a perfume model in the department store. And I don't know if you've ever heard this story from me, but it's the absolute God's honest truth. Like if you ever want to not make friends, become a perfume model because people <laughs> run feel bad walking by and they run from you. They run from you. They don't want you to spray them. They don't want you to give you a little, you know, tester or anything. And I thought, well, God, this is like a pretty sad job. People couldn't run away from me fast enough. So I ended up spending a lot of time on the cosmetic floor and got to know some of the men and women that worked down there and thought, you know what? They're having a lot more fun. They're interacting with their customers. They're trying makeup. They're laughing. They're selling products. Like that's where I need to be. So <laughs> that was pretty much what happened. We've read that you've always set out to learn a lot from the people around you. And when you talk about what drew you into even becoming a makeup artist, you talk about like, oh, people were having conversations. They were laughing. How did you start to develop relationships when you were trying to break into the industry? I feel like that can be a really overwhelming thing for some people when they start off on their own career paths. You know, I have to say there's some real advantages to being born and raised in Southern California, the center of the entertainment industry, right? Back when I started, Hollywood was the center of the universe for entertainment. And growing up there, I organically met a lot of people, even in, I would say, even I remember in high school meeting other girls and guys whose families were embedded into the entertainment industry, whether they were in production on crews or producers, directors, makeup artists, you know, all of that. I was fortunate enough to understand the industry at a very, very kind of small level, but it gave me that insight and kind of the idea of once I started realizing that I didn't want to be a fashion designer and I really enjoyed makeup, I started realizing like, oh, I remember my one friend, Nancy Brooks, you know, she was dating this guy whose father was a director and she got a summer job working on a makeup crew. Like maybe I could do that too. At the time, I actually had an agent. I had a commercial agent and I was at William Morris as a Latina actress and I didn't really work, but I, you know. <laughs> They, like, they liked me. I liked the idea of it. So <laughs> I had an agent, but I was like, I was going out on all these auditions and not booking them. And then my friend, Sharice, was like every day working on production, having a great time, making money. And I thought, I don't really need to be an actor. I just, it's something that just kind of fell in my lap. I really like this makeup gig. I want to do this. And so I just really, you know, asked a lot of questions. I tell people all the time, I think part of, what I've learned about myself over the years is that I'm very clear about the things I feel confident and I'm good at that I know I can do, but I'm also really clear about the things I don't know. 
And so I look and seek out those people that can teach me those things that I don't know. And that's kind of what happened with makeup. Your ability to build professional relationships is one of the things that helped you transition from music videos to movies and television and eventually to help you get your own product off the ground. But I think one of the things that Danielle and I struggled with and our listeners always write in questions around is how much time do you spend on networking versus prioritizing actually what you're working on? What would you say to somebody listening? Like, are you consciously or unconsciously building your network? And then how do you actually figure out like when it's time to say yes to like a networking opportunity versus actually focusing on kind of the core of what you're networking around? That's such a good question, girls. I've never been asked that question. Hey, welcome to nine to five-ish. <laughs> it's such an important question, really. And I'll tell you, my whole makeup career I was a single parent for the most part. I'm not anymore. I've been in a relationship now and have a child with a wonderful man. But for many years, I was single. And I used to see my peers and different people really working very hard to be trying to connect on a personal level with the people they were working with. And I always felt like it's kind of cheating. Like, I don't want to go hang out with you. Like, I want you to like me because of the job I do. So then how do I appeal to the person from that perspective, not trying to like be chummy, chummy and hang out with them? You know what I mean? Plus, I would, like I said, I was a single parent. So being a makeup artist, you spend many, many hours on set and you're away from your family and your loved ones. So whenever it was time to go, I wanted to get home to my daughter or my son. I didn't necessarily then want to go hang out, go to a party with my client or go somewhere. I just like that wasn't really me. So yeah. I really had to find a way to, to have authentic connections with people and have authentic conversations that were kind of seeped in the things that we had in common, you know, whether it was talking to an AD who's a woman who is having the same challenges that I'm having. Like, how do you have a work-life balance when you're in production? How do you Mm -hmm. spend 12 hours a day? And those were my music video days. You know, I started in music videos where we would go all night, sometimes 22 hours. And you would want to do those jobs because of the opportunities that would come beyond that job. And plus being a creative, you wanted to be able to really put your vision out there. So you would take these jobs, you would commit to the times, but then you're personal life would suffer. So, you know, that's the other part too, girls. When you spend that much time with the same people for a certain amount of days, you just find ways to connect. You talk to them, you find out about their lives, and then you talk about the professional side of their lives. And, you know, you, you share stories, you share networking, you share Mm -hmm. connections. You should meet this person. I want to introduce you to that person. But I think it all starts with really being genuine. And I think people are pretty good about sniffing out bullshit and insincerity. So I just try to keep it real. And I wouldn't say that I was necessarily like a, what is it? Like a ladder climber or something like that. But you Mm -hmm. recognize as a freelancer where you want to go. There's people that do certain types of work that you want to do. So you want to get to know them. So whenever you get the opportunity to be on a job with them or connected with them in some professional way, you take that opportunity and you try to find those levels of familiarity or things that you have in common so that you can build some foundation for a professional relationship that will 
hopefully keep you top of mind the next time they have a job or something that you're right for. You have, according to what I've read about you, a skill set that I really, really love when people have it. And I want to hear how you leverage it. What's that? that You are apparently very confident when it comes to cold calling. (laughs) And that's a hard thing to be confident about. I would love to hear what you would tell somebody who feels intimidated by doing that. Okay. So there's a couple things there. You know, working with a lot of actors and listening to them privately being coached in the rooms or trailers, there's one thing that I always kind of remember. And it was whenever you're nervous about meeting somebody or talking to them, just envision them sitting on the toilet. (laughs) Just... Just envision them sitting, like whatever intimidates you about that person. I was not expecting that. You know, we all sit on the toilet. I like that piece of advice. That is like so much funnier than envision them naked because I'm always (laughs) like, well, you know, we all sit on the toilet. That is hilarious. I mean, and, and it brings us to a certain level of humanity where we're all alike, right? And so no matter how important or big and bad you are, we all do that. And then the other thing, you know, being a single parent and just really being a warrior for your family and for your kids. And when you're the sole breadwinner, there's certain fears that you overcome because you need to achieve. And really for me in that cold calling situation, the worst thing that can ever happen is that someone says no, and who cares? There's always going to be somebody that says yes. You know, so if you get no's, then you just haven't found the right person. So you just keep going, move down the list, go to the next one. And that passion that's driving you to cold call somebody should also be like the fuel in your tank, right? That keeps you going. So I want to move into Beauty Blender. You started cutting your sponges into that teardrop shape by hand yourself. Why? What was it that sparked I guess, the original concept. And then when did you know that like this thing you were creating by hand was going to be a hit? Well, first of all, I never knew that. I suspected that my peers, meaning other makeup artists, were going to have the same challenges moving into the digital age that I was, into high def. And by the way, I did not invent cutting sponges. I will never own that. You know, some people are like, oh, you're the first one to do it. No, I'm no, I'm not. You know, makeup artists historically were always men, just a little history. And then hairdressers were women. And that's why even like up until very recently in our union, makeup artists made more because they were men. I didn't realize this. I never knew that. Never, never yeah, knew that. It's, it's a little ugly, ugly detail, but it's the truth. That being said, men's hands, generally speaking, are larger than women's hands. And so men would take these blocks of foam material that they would get. I mean, we're talking back, you know, 50s, 40s, and they would cut the sponges into shapes that would help them achieve whatever that application was. So First of all, that was a concept that I knew happened. It still happens to this day in special effects. As we've, you know, evolved, of course, more tools have been created where that's not being done as much, but you will definitely find makeup artists out there that specialize in effects and even just, you know, beauty makeup artists too, you know, really kind of like, I call it MacGyvering materials Mm -hmm. to just accomplish a goal. 
that was really what we were doing. The show that I was on was the first show that was being shot and broadcast in high definition. And the makeup was showing. And so the director and the writer was very concerned. The show was Girlfriends and it was four beautiful African-American women. One and of my favorite shows. When I saw I that, know, I, I didn't know you worked yeah. on it. I was freaking out. I'm like, I have to talk to you about this. Yeah, it was, it was really such a joy to work on. But we were all trying to figure out very different aspects of production that were now going to be shot in high def, not just, you know, makeup, it was hair, it was wardrobe, it was sets, it was the way things looked, the way you lit it, everything it was like new. So, you know, it was a labor of love trying to figure out how to accomplish a no makeup look. And so we were really lucky to be one of the first shows really trying to figure that out. And that's where I kind of used some of the techniques from special effects. I was really what I was doing by cutting the edges off the sponge was eliminating that hard, sharp line of a triangular wedge that would leave a line of demarcation on the skin. Because in digital, you would see texture where you never saw texture on film because it was so bright. In digital, you would see textures, you would see pores, you would see little hairs and fat, like you would see everything. So when you had a, a sharp kind of linear tool and you drag it along the face, a couple of things happen. You're going to change the texture of the skin. You're going to see the line of demarcation for where the makeup was. So basically rounding that tool really softened those lines of demarcation and really blend everything together. I mean, it's, it's really sounds complicated, but it's so simple. And it's not, like I said, it wasn't a new concept. You mentioned that you're not the first person to like cut up a sponge, right? But obviously you came up with a very specific type of product with a very specific type of aesthetic and purpose. You can go into like any pharmacy or beauty store and there's knockoffs of it. When you see a knockoff, does that make you smile or make you like furrow your brow? (laughs) You know, let me tell you, honestly, when I first started seeing them, come out, it would be like sucking the air out of my lungs. I was just like, what the fuck? No. And I would get really mad and I would get really nervous. But then, you know, again, life is what it is. And I tried to just shift the perception of what was going on and into a different point of view. And that point of view was, I must be doing something right if somebody wants to copy me. There must be a businessman out there somewhere that's saying, oh my God, there's revenue there. There's money to be made. Let's make ours. So I started just shifting the way I thought about the knockoffs and I would refer to them as my fans because Hmm. they're my fans. I like that. Yeah. Because they are, right? They are. Beauty Blender started the category. We stay and remain at the top of that category. I might steal that. I might be a fan of that fan phrase and yeah. <laughs> might steal that. It's a much healthier way to look yes, at it because yes, you know, it did traumatize me a bit because it took me a long time and I knew it was just me. Like when you saw some of the bigger companies trying to knock Beauty Blender off, it just was very scary because they have the staff and the manpower and the dollars to put behind that product if they really want to push it. And you just don't know what's going to happen. But fortunately, you know, there's some secret sauce in the beauty blender and nobody was able to really achieve the kind of product and the material and the performance that that beauty blender gives. So 
Luckily and thankfully, I don't feel like there's been any real contender out there that's been able to steal any of my market share. And I will always be at the top of the category. Beauty Blender is in the Smithsonian. I mean, we made history. Yes, we made history in a in an exhibit that's at the that's Smithsonian so right cool. now. That is amazing. Yeah. Wait, so yeah. what what exhibit is it in? That's so cool. It's really cool. It's and trust me, I <laughs> when Lauren was like, "Hey, the Smithsonian's calling. They want to put you in an exhibit." I was like, "Come on." They That's they like wrong... a bucket list item that you probably didn't realize was a bucket list I item. I was telling but her they've so got cool. the wrong person. This yeah. is wrong. You need to just really be honest with them and tell them <laughs> this is like I it's a sponge. Like, really? It's an exhibit called The Only One in the Room. And it's a group of eight women over the course of a hundred years that invented something that changed their industry. Wow. Women of color. And yeah, I was just so honored to be included in this group of women. That's incredible, Ryan. And there's only two of us alive. I mean, it spans the course of a hundred years. So some of these women aren't here anymore. That was like the biggest surprise, I think, of 2019. I never thought <laughs> that Beauty Blender would be in the Smithsonian for my great-grandchildren and their children forever to be in history. It's pretty cool. That is amazing. And I'm just thinking about, you know, where we started from thinking about the questions on how do you network and you're working on music video sets and being a single parent to being in the Smithsonian. That's it's just incredible. Yeah, it's crazy. I would say aside from creating Beauty Blender, which was another unexpected expected thing for me, I thought I was going to be creating the next makeup line for women of color because that was my expertise as a makeup artist. And thankfully, that's what I do now. But it's only because of my distraction called Beauty Blender. Like Beauty Blender came along and just took me on this ride that I never anticipated happening. And let's talk about that. When you thought about what you set out doing, how was it that Beauty Blender started to be the thing that took off or that you were convinced to focus on instead of making your own makeup product line? Making makeup is a very expensive business. Like you said at the beginning of this interview, I am completely self-funded and I am a single working parent. So there's very real limitations to what I really could do. And I tried to get money early on for the business, but I didn't want enough money and I didn't want to give up enough of my equity. And I also was looking for money for a product that, let's face it, most men are in equity, right? Or in equity banking and they didn't really get it. They didn't understand what it was I was making. And I thank God sometimes for that, because had I maybe found somebody willing to give me some money early on, I wouldn't be able to sit here and say, you know, I I don't even know if Beauty Blender would still be here really, because what I know now and what I've learned over the years about, you know, some, some of the stories that I hear, you know, the business may not even be here right now. So I'm really fortunate. Hey, skimmers. Do you know Kelly Corrigan? She's written a bunch of New York Times bestsellers, like The Middle Place and Tell Me More. And we're here to tell you about her podcast, Kelly Corrigan Wonders. The show looks at things like how change happens in our lives and in our country, or how each generation thinks about things like money, well-being, work, and parenting. 
It's smart, funny, and intimate. New episodes drop every Tuesday, and you can follow Kelly Corrigan Wonders wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, let's get back to the show. From a business perspective, so obviously from a ego or like just pure brand perspective, being in the Smithsonian is is pretty fucking cool. But from a business perspective, you know, you decide to focus on the beauty blender, you forego raising capital. When did you see just people start buying it? You know, I have to say that really it came in like waves and phases. And first it was all my peers. I always thought I would make Beauty Blender and it would really only be like a professional tool because I really thought makeup artists are going to be the only ones that really understand this tool and why you need it and would pay for it. So the first wave of recognition that I saw from people purchasing Beauty Blender. It was my peers. It was other Mm -hmm. makeup artists. And what I mean is just wasn't my community in Hollywood. It was New York, Chicago. It was outside. It started, you know, to be makeup artists in Europe. And, you know, I would see it all the tables at Fashion Week. It was like, okay, onto something here. But then the next elevation, I guess we can call it, is really when Sephora came into the picture. Sephora was always a dream, always a goal, like really like that dream. You didn't know if it was going to happen, right? If you're going to be able to be in a mall one day and walk by a Sephora window and be like, Hey, there's my product. But when Sephora came calling, eventually that really changed everything. I want to go to our listener questions. We have a great question from Chelsea that I would love to know your answer to. So Chelsea wants to know biggest do's and don'ts of building your network. Okay. So maybe I, you know, I don't profess to be the smartest person, but I don't know that there's any don'ts. You can build a network. And if there are contacts in that network, don't specifically help you or strengthen your brand in any way. You just don't have to engage with them. But I never feel like it's a bad thing to meet people. So I I don't know that there's any bad things. And really for me, if there is a bad person in my network, I learn from that. And I, learn to recognize when I see that again, there's never enough good relationships you can have. And it doesn't need to be really industry or categorically specific. I just feel like good things happen so randomly from people that you might not ever think would have any kind of connection to you or be helpful in some ways. I believe everybody's entrepreneurial experience is helpful to, to me anyway. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I hate to say it, but I, I am myself like a sponge. I kind of soak that up is, everything. <laughs> that is a great place to, to wrap here. Final question <laughs> for you, Rianne. Who's someone else we should have on the show? Do you guys know Moj from BeautyCon? We do. Carly knows her pretty well. And, and I don't think we've had her on. So that might be Moj a good one. is pretty fucking interesting. Let yeah. me tell you, we've become really pretty close over, especially over COVID. Listen, yeah. she had a business that totally relied on people coming together, right? Mm-hmm. BeautyCon was this big space for beauty and you need to physically be there. So when COVID happened, I know she was just like, what the fuck am I going to do? What's going to happen? And what she did, she's so 
brilliant and her instincts are just so great. And talk about a connector, somebody that is genuine and authentic. She created this group of entrepreneurs and founders during COVID. And it was called Beauty United. Now I think it's called Beauty 411. She put together like the most amazing group of people, everyone from like Gwyneth Paltrow to Bobby Brown to me to like just all these different founders, Adriana Lima, Naomi Watts. It was just like the most amazing experience to have, especially at a time where, you know, especially in the beauty industry, I mean, COVID could be pretty devastating. So it was really, really cool. I think she's just such a dynamic, interesting, smart human being. That's a great recommendation. Brianne, congratulations on everything. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. And I hope that I get to meet you in person soon. And I, while we were on, I Googled and learned that I, in fact, had not been correctly soaking the beauty blender. So thank you for saying that. And now I will do better. Wet squeeze bounce, ladies. Wet squeeze bounce. That's our motto. Thank you, ladies. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. 